Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. When you think about the sales process, and you think about the process to help somebody arrive at a point of decision and choose you to buy from you, if you think about what's happened over time and how the process have changed, when you actually take a step back, really, nothing's changed. You need a buyer who has a need or a problem to solve. You need to have a solution that can help them. You form a relationship, they see some value, bang, a transaction takes place. Really, that's the whole process it's been since day one, right? However, there has been so many things that have changed in the way in which we engage the prospect and help them get to that point of decision. Technology has come in. Virtual selling has come in. There's been a whole range of things that have impacted the environment that we live in. And roles within the sales process have also changed. You know, the, the actual funnel, if you look at it from a funnel perspective, has changed. You've got top of funnel specialists that all they do, the SDRs, the BDRs, all they do is engage with people to try to create an opportunity, a conversation for an AE to take over. The AE does their job. They pass it to customer success. Some industries don't deliver that type of methodology. They're still, you know, that whole 360 type sales role. You, you find it, you close it, you manage it, right? Fundamentally, there's a whole range of different structures that are now that sales people fall within, sales pros fall within. And why I love this week's episode, because this week we're joined by a strategist, Warren Zenner. He's a chief revenue expert, chief revenue officer expert, who started his career as a sales professional and worked his way up. And now he works with business leaders, CEOs and CROs across a variety of different companies, sizes, industries, in helping them become CRO ready, helping them build the CRO function. And this is pretty awesome because for any seller that's trying to be the best they can be, it's really important as you're building a capability that you're thinking outside the realm of your role. Because the more you can think outside of the realm of your role, it allows you to bring that level of thinking into the opportunities that you're engaging with. And remember, people choose you, people will choose you because you bring a point of view, you bring a level of expertise to the table. And it's crucial that you really give some consideration and really thinking around the strategy that allow you to deepen the relationships with the prospects that you engage with every single day. Revenue operations is much more than words in a job title. It's a movement that is transforming sales, marketing, and customer success teams into high-performing revenue drivers. RingDNA is a recognized Gartner cool vendor that makes RevOps possible by driving improved operational efficiency and revenue capture from sales, marketing, and customer success. Trusted by the top companies across the globe, RingDNA offers a complete sales engagement, conversational intelligence, and revenue intelligence platform for Salesforce customers. Learn how we can transform your results at ringdna.com. That's ringdna.com. So this is an incredible episode. We're going to have a lot of fun. Warren's a cool guy. I really, I've enjoyed getting to know him and he, he shares some incredible thoughts that will help you 
kind of be the best you can be. But before we get into that episode, I've got a got a bit of a competition. There's a great book that was released by a good friend of mine, Meredith Elliott Powell, Thrive, Strategies to Turn Uncertainty to Competitive Advantage. It's a great book. I read it as soon as it came out and it really got me thinking about the mindset required to take what many would look at as a negative and find the positive, find the abundance in the challenges that we've experienced over the past 18 months. This is a cracking book. I've got a bunch of books to give away, but in order to win the book, and we're going to have a few of these, we're going to have Tech Powered Sales, another book. We're going to have a couple of other books coming up where we're going to give them away. If you like our podcast, if you like the podcast that you listen to every week, please do us a favor, jump on, give us a rating, put a comment on why you like it, shoot me a picture of that comment on LinkedIn and with your address and we will send you the book and we'll, we'll, we've got a few other goodies that we plan to send out. So again, this is a great book. I wouldn't be recommending the book unless I really took some stuff away with it. And I did, I took some real, it really helped me think about adversity and how adversity can be turned into opportunity. So um, yeah, enjoy this week's episode with Warren. Get on iTunes, whichever platform you listen to this podcast, give us a rating. It's only if you like it. I don't want to coherce you just because you want a book. If you just want the book, you don't like the episode, just say, hey, just send me a LinkedIn note. Say, I actually don't like your podcast, but I want to read the book. You know what? I'll send you the book. So enjoy the episode. Take down some notes. Warren does talk about some stuff that will really help you think differently about how you think about the world of selling and what's possible in your role. So welcome to the show, Warren. Thank you. And it's great to be here. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation a great deal. Yeah, really excited, mate. I'm really excited to talk uh, all things kind of not just strategy, but also how individual contributors um, can use some of the techniques and strategies that CROs are using every day to scale their business. Um, But mate, before we get into that topic, we'd love to learn a bit more about how you started in the world of sales and how you transitioned into the world of kind of the CRO. Great. Well, thank you. And I'm happy to do so. So, uh, you know, I'm a bit of an old salt, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm older than, than maybe people realize I'm, I'm in my mid fifties. So, uh, I've been, I've been in the sales game, I guess, you know, from since my twenties, I, I got my first job selling when I was in college. Uh, I got hired over the summer to sell newspaper advertising for a local New Jersey newspaper. And it came very naturally to me. Uh, what people don't know about me, or some do, but most don't, is that I'm an artist. I went to school for art. I was I was a I was a, a, a fine artist, and I was also a performer. You know, I was one of these weird kids that could do all this crazy stuff. And so, you know, I was singing and I was acting and I was doing a lot of drawing. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I certainly didn't think I'd become a business person. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, and I sold because I just had sort of like a personality that lent itself to it. And then I, when I graduated from college, I'll make it, I'll, I'll really, I'll, I'll shorten this because it's actually an interesting story, but I don't want to get into it for the purpose of this conversation. I graduated from college and I got a job and it was horrible. I got fired. I was really just wasn't suited to work in a company. So I went back to school. I paid for it myself to become an actor and I did okay. I mean, I didn't make a lot of money, but I did get work. Right? And, I, and I was in New York and I was working in the restaurant industry and then Cut to around 1994, a very close friend of mine whom I'm still very close with. We spoke yesterday. It's 30 years ago. He was an amazing salesperson, really one of these brilliant sales people. He's older than me. And he said to me, you could sell anything. 
I'm going away on vacation and I want you to close some deals for me. He was working in the publishing industry and I did it. And I, and I, and I was really easy for me. So he came back and he said, look, I'm going to hire you. So you know, he kind of kicked out, kickstarted my career and he hired me as a salesperson selling advertising for a publisher. Yeah. And uh, I got, I caught the bug and I just became really into it. And I found sales to be very fun and engaging and I love solving people's problems. So I developed some sales acumen and, and he really helped me. He really trained me really well. And then I started running sales teams because I had leadership abilities, which as you know, right, if you're going to run a sales team, you need to have not just sales acumen, mm-hmm. you also be able to manage people, right? It, it, it's, it's a distinct skill. I just had an argument with somebody about this yesterday. They're not the same skills. And to find yeah. people that can do both is, is a really unique thing. So anyway, I started running sales teams and I was always selling marketing services. So I became proficient at both marketing and sales. That's just sort of led me to where I am today. So because I'm selling marketing, I then became the product. I started becoming a consultant, right? So I would sell in a marketing you know, service and then I would help actually execute it. And I started working at some big agencies and working for a lot of these uh, larger firms selling marketing services. I got a job at Publicis Group. I ran a big group there. And then uh, I had my own agency for a while, right? I was using my sales skills to build my own business, which I did pretty well. And then I got a job at another big agency and I I ran a, a division for them in North America and I built a big business there. And this is when it started to all kind of come together, right? So this is when so I've been a salesperson, I've been a sales manager, I was an executive, and now I have a PNL, and now I'm a buyer, and here I am now, I'm buying marketing services. So now I'm being sold to. This is interesting because during this time, I skipped over a lot of stuff. I was training hundreds of salespeople. I started a sales training business because I like teaching, I like training and coaching. So here I am now, I'm buying and I'm being sold to by all these guys who are sort of like me, right? They're like you know, mm-hmm. 15 years younger than I am. And I started noticing a lot of things that were really interesting to me that I knew before, but they all coalesced. And that was, there's this big distinction between uh, selling a service and marketing a service and being a consultant and how a company needs to be more clear about how they go to market, particularly when they run a sales organization. And I started seeing evidence of a widespread issue of misalignment between marketing, sales, and customer success, which is really the whole big revenue operation. Those are the three customer-facing parts of a company. And yeah. uh, the evidence of that was was very palpable to me. And it became clear to me that what was missing was that most of these CROs, the problem is most of these chief revenue officers at these companies, they run sales. Yep. And that's not what a CRO is supposed to do. And uh, this is something that a lot of salespeople don't want to hear because they all want to be CROs and they want to be C-suite sales leaders. And uh, what I want to do and I've been doing since I started the CRO Collective was help companies understand what a CRO does, how to hire one properly, and how to implement a CRO-ready organization so that CROs succeed and that CEOs succeed in the hiring of a CRO and that the role itself is more defined across the industry so that sales organizations are more aligned with the rest of the organization. So that's sort of what I'm trying to do. Yeah, because I've heard you talk about this before. I've heard you talk about you don't want to hire a CRO. Um, And I've heard you talk about why some companies make the wrong move when they've Mm -hmm. got a head of sales that they just transition to a CRO. So it's really interesting. But I think before we get into that, I really appreciate you sharing kind of your story because – um, you know, that's a, that's a pretty wild ride that you've had along the way. Um, it was even but, wilder. I left that a lot, <laughs> but that's okay. Hey, tell us a bit about sort of your, you know, the, the art and the acting component um, 
from your history, how has that impacted your ability to be a great sales professional? Great question. And in a lot of ways, A, uh, you know, some people are born more extroverted, right? I mean, most people who go into theater or performance are, are extroverted. They're comfortable speaking in front of people. Sorry. And, and as a result, they have an actual per- propensity for being able to communicate well. And then some are really good at being very persuasive, yeah. right? They have good storytelling skills. They have a certain type of personality. Uh, they, are, they can articulate things clearly. Uh, and actors have a tendency to be that way because of the emotive component of it. And mm-hmm. I think that certainly helped me a lot. So some of it's just personality stuff. Other was training. Um, I did a lot of public speaking. I'm not afraid to speak in front of people. And I think that when I go to a meeting, I think I bring all that stuff to the table. But the art part is interesting because, you know, I think visually. So I speak visually, right? So I try to create diagrams through language. And when you're selling something that's complicated, if um, you're able to do that well, it's easier for people to understand it and it makes it more likely that they're going to want to buy it, right? So those two things, I think the creative side of me absolutely is a, is a component of, I, I think that I, I find myself thinking about a lot and I think it's helped me quite a bit. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I've often, you know, thought I've, I've given this a lot of consideration about the science of selling versus the art of selling and that, you know, mm-hmm. the great, great sellers are able to bring them both together and find really unique alignment when they can leverage the data, they can leverage the technology, but they're also trying to refine the skill set and they're trying to refine the conversation thread and improve themselves. And that's the art component where I think many can sometimes forget about. Um, but, mate, I want to sort of, if you're a salesperson, so if you're, in, and obviously we've got a wide audience here, we've got individual contributors, um, we've got sales leaders. But I want to start first, if you're, if you're an individual comp- contributor right now, you've just heard mm-hmm. what you've said. You're like, yes, yeah, so I have aspirations to climb that corporate ladder to become that C-level sales executive. Um, what, what can individual contributors do now to take some of that CRO mentality into their role each day to improve their current sales performance? That's great. So I think the first thing I would say to that question is, again, it sort of goes back to my philosophy, right? So I'll put that through the filter of my own world is the first thing is, again, I, 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 I don't, I'm pretty confidently like firm about this, that the, the mistake that a lot of uh, individual contributors make when they are aspiring to become a CRO is that they make the mistake that I just referenced is that they, they're looking for a C-level sales role. And that's not what a CRO is. So I think the first thing is think about what the job really is. Like if, if in fact this, a, a, a sales leader or an individual contributor is listening to this right now and they're thinking about, I really want to climb the ladder. There's a big difference between being a sales leader and running a sales team than being a CRO. They're, they're kind of um, cousins of each other, but not, they're not the same. They're not like in a direct linear path. So step one, I think first is run a sales team. Yep. So if you're an individual contributor and you have aspirations to run a sales team, the first thing you have to do is figure out how do I make that jump? And the way you're going to make that jump is by showing the people in your company that you are someone who wants to develop other people. Right. So if, when I, I've hired many sales leaders and the people I give the job to are the ones that I see that are coaching other people. Yeah. <laughs> 
right? They're, they're just naturally walking over to other salespeople and they're offering, you know, insights or they're helping them improve or they're giving away their knowledge and they're not competing. They're somewhat helping and they're sort of creating a team by virtue of their own personalities. And those are the people who tend to be really good at, at that job because they're naturally inclined to want to sort of run things and, and to oversee a larger complex sales organization. So that's the first thing I'd ask yourself is, is, is A, do you want to manage people? Because managing people is, is hard and, and for many people, it's, it's, it's not great. It's, it's a very unpleasant thing. For some people, it's wonderful. So if you have those sort of skill sets, that's a must. You have to be someone who's really good at managing and leading people. So that's one thing. So the first thing I'd say is start thinking about getting on a role where the next job you take comes with leading or managing at least one or two people and figuring that out and, and, and getting clear on that. Read as many of the really good sales management, sales leadership books you can find today. There's so many good ones. Other thing I would say is find, and you know this already, find a really good sales manager that you look up to and admire and go up to that person and say, I'd like you to mentor me. I'd like to become, to learn how to be a sales manager. And I think you're great at it. And I'd like to like devote my time to doing it. And that's a good thing to do. I did a lot of this. I asked a lot of people for help. So once you develop those sales management skills and you take on a sales management job, then you can start to figure out whether or not you want to stay in the sales management track, right? And grow and develop in that realm, or whether you start to become interested in marketing and how marketing contributes to sales. What role does marketing play in the sales and revenue function? And lastly, and most importantly, in my opinion, is the customer success function. How do customers experience value? When's the point at which sales and marketing hand off to an organization that take care of the customer? And does the customer have a line through in the way that the marketing and sales function or experience affected the way the outcome was? Those are the ones who become the best chief revenue officers. They're the ones who yeah. start to look at the bigger picture and they start to understand like, then if that interests you, then it's time to start looking into a chief revenue officer role because that's really where the role becomes really exciting. But I think... And this is great, right? Because I think what you've touched on, and again, I see this, you know, as I as I go down a path to really assess what makes great, great, you know, what separates the high-performing sales professionals from the rest, um, often it's not necessarily the skill component, right? Um, there's an mm -hmm. attitude and mindset that is very unique. And that attitude and mindset is that that real focus on understanding they want to understand what happens after the sale occurs. They want to understand the impact of a product that it can have. What are the, you know, we often told don't feature sell, but the reality is the features are really important to understand what they do and how it relates to the need that a customer has, right? There's got to be an alignment there because that's how you create value, right? And so sure. I, often, I often see this, I see, you know, high-performing sales professionals really become quite curious about what happens after the contract signed, what happens after the electronic agreement is executed, and how do customers achieve success? How are those stories then embedded into their sales conversation? So what I'm loving from what you're saying is going outside that realm, in order to grow, you've got to be thinking about the next stage of the sales process, the next stage of the customer journey. Um, then how do I coach that into others to help others then grow? Um, so I really, really love what you're saying. And I mean, if you can take your own example during your career, these, you know, this 
um, desire that you had to kind of be curious and grow, how did that help your sales? Uh, it's a great point. And I would say it's curiosity for sure. You're 100% correct. It's curiosity. And there's two types of curiosity, right? There's scientific curiosity. Like I'm, you know, Darwin and I'm running around the jungle. And I'm looking up, you know, leaves and, and monkeys and animals. And I'm trying to figure out how to do things. Yeah. And then there's the sort of caring curiosity, which is I care about this. And I really want to s- deliver or service something. And they're distinct, but they're both forms of curiosity. And I think the the science that you refer to is the scientific curiosity. And the art is the caring part of the art, the curiosity. And um, I believe that the best salespeople have both, right? They're scientific and that they experiment and they uncover what works, what doesn't work. And they play a lot with language. And you see all these things on LinkedIn. It's great. I love it. I love these guys who share, like, I wrote this email and look at the way I wrote it. Look at the way the sentence was written. And, you know, it's, it's brilliant because it does formulate a certain angle on the communication. The nuance can make a big difference in the when someone listens to you. But behind it, you have to care. Mm. You really have to, like, think, all right. I want this person whom is entrusting me with this decision. I want the outcome to be fulfilled. I'm invested in that outcome. And I think the best salespeople, customers feel that. They feel this person really did a great job of communicating to me. And like you said, they were able to really clearly articulate the value and they show me why I should make this decision. And they were persuasive in stacking up those features. And, you know, but they also gave a shit. Yeah. Like, I believe in this person. They care and they sort of want me to win and uh, they're in my corner. And that mindset is a combination of caring and it's also one of extreme confidence. Like, the best salespeople sort of have this mindset of, I may not get you today, but I'm going to get you eventually, Mm. you know, sort of thing. And there's this sort of feeling like, I'm not tiptoeing around. I'm not equivocating. I have a very direct message for you. I'm very confident about it. It either fits for you or it doesn't fit for you. We're here to find that out. I'm here to serve you. Let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get to that and let's work. And, you know, people feel like they want to be in those kind of conversations. And I do believe that that's something you can learn. But I also think there's something, some people have it more innately than other people do. You know, I'm getting excited, Warren, hearing you talk about that because I think in a world of technology, in a world of tactics, yeah, I think what I love about selling today compared to, you know, when I first started in sales, I didn't have access. We didn't have access to information like we do right now. If we need to know how to handle yeah. objection or how to do X, there are so many tactics and, and, and thought leaders that supply this information. But fundamentally, and this is why I'm getting so excited, is because you're right, that transference of enthusiasm, as Brian Tracy used to say, right? Sales is a transference of enthusiasm. And that relationship component, that trust, that empathy is foundational. That is the key to success. And I think we sometimes, not just sales individual contributors, but leaders forget that in order to build an engaged community, an engaged customer base, there has to be a level of trust right? There's got to be that trust there, a care factor and want to grow that relationship together. Um, and I, I just, I, I love it because again, I think there's so many things, those tactics are great, but there's a forget that human element. And, you know, I've done some, 
incredible deals in my career. I've put some multi-million dollar deals together and I've lost some multi-million dollar deals, right? But one thing sure, that so has never, <laughs> never let me down and I get this feedback is people have actually liked my energy and, and enthusiasm to want their business, to care enough to go outside of the box, outside of the square, to do more than what's required to get the deal done. So I really love what you're sharing. So if we can now progress this conversation, so we're thinking about what can individual contributors do, let's start to talk about the CRO role. And, mm -hmm. you know, what are some of the, I suppose, critical success factors, two or three things that th CROs kind of must be thinking about in order not just to succeed, but to be sustainable in their strategy moving forward. Great. So, so the CRO role, uh, I, as I said earlier, I think the first part, if I were to walk someone through this evolution, and I, I do, by the way, I have a way in which I kind of walk people through this process in my in the work that I, I, I have, is to first get uh, someone to first understand what the role really is and to kind of, in a way, maybe refine or calibrate their impressions of what the role is so that they're really clear on what the job is. And then that the first step there is to first see that as being something that's exciting. Mm -hmm. And not for just aspirational purposes, right? This is a problem, is that the problem with the word C in front of a title is in itself very alluring. And people <laughs> will make all sorts of concessions just to get a C-suite title that they shouldn't make. And this is a big mistake. It's, it's, it's just because you want to be part of the C-suite doesn't mean you should take a job that you don't want or that you're not qualified for or that you're not going to do a good job in. It's actually a bad idea because mm -hmm. the the outcome of you failing in a C-suite job has bigger implications to your career than doing it in a mid-level job. So if you're going to take a job in the C-suite, you don't really feel you're qualified for that your gut tells you that you really don't want this job, but you're going to see if you can wing it and figure it out. It's, it's a bad idea. So yeah. The first thing is knowing that you want that job. The second thing is once you do say, yeah, okay, I, I, it's a systems thinking job. And I'm going to be more emphasize that more. A CRO role is a systems role. What do I mean? What I mean is you're looking at an entire system of functions, not one function. Just because the word revenue mm. is in the title, it doesn't mean that all you think about is growing a pipeline and closing deals. As a matter of fact, I'd say that's a unfortunately myopic way of looking at the job. It really is, in fact, one that revenue is an outcome of a system of functions that work together where the customer is successful. And the CRO should start thinking about, as I said earlier, how a marketing organization works with a sales organization and works with a customer service organization to ensure that the system is designed for maximum revenue. Mm. And when you start thinking that way, now you've placed yourself in a much more strategic leadership position that you can even hear the way this sounds is going to be much more in sync with the growth of an organization, culturally, functionally, organizationally, and financially, because that person's taking a bigger responsibility for systems and how the customer experiences. But let's face it, a, a marketing message is a customer experience. A sales outbound message is a customer mm. experience, right? And you know, if you don't think that way, you're losing the fact that a customer starts the first time they receive an email from somebody or a advertisement from somebody. And if I'm thinking about this as a high level C-suite executive, 
I'm going to have a much different way that I want those organizations to function because now all of a sudden I see the implications of how all those systems work together. And I think that's the way a, a chief revenue officer should start thinking, a future chief revenue officer should start thinking. This is interesting. And, and uh, one of the things that I've, and, and I appreciate you sharing that, one of the things that I've also noticed is the tech sector is you know really open to adopting new functions roles we've seen like now we see RevOps is becoming quite yeah, a it's an important one you know an evolution um, yeah but I also see that other industries can also benefit from the the kind of the go to market thinking that the tech sector is is is, is putting together um, tell us a bit like again if you're outside of the tech sector listening to this. You know, is a CRO, this type of mentality, something that can be transitioned into other industry sectors that have essentially not used this kind of more of a technical-based role? Mm, yeah, I, I think so. I, it's a great question because obviously this is very apt for a technic- technology mm. company. And I think you and I probably agree we use the word technology rather loosely. I mean, it could be fintech, ad tech, ed tech, <laughs> right? There's all yeah. sorts of companies, right? That, there's SaaS-based technology companies where there's a lot of churn and there's a big customer pipeline and all the other things that go along with it. But like, if I'm in logistics, right, or trucking, right, any B2B company is going to face the same dynamics, right? What what the the role that I'm referring to what it solves for, yes, it does have functions and ways in which the role solves for things that are very pertinent to or germane to the technology companies, but they're also pervasive across all B2B companies, and that are basic just misalignment and siloization and factionalism amongst different groups, right? That happens in any company. Yeah. I would say less so, frankly, in I think consumer companies where there's a lot more scale I don't know if the chief revenue officer role is one that's very pervasive in, in in consumer companies, nor do I think it probably fits. But any B2B company, and I've worked with a lot of different types of B2B companies, has these issues. And I think there's no question there's applicability across people who are not in the tech sector in a B2B company. And they're thinking about the ways in which their revenue operations seem to be fragmented and not working together cohesively. It's probably because you put somebody in charge of sales who's taking up all the wind in the, in the, in the room. <laughs> and there's so much focus on pipeline growth that everything else sort of falls by the wayside. Yeah. And that's a lopsided revenue operation that's not going not gonna to probably uh, be able to scale. Yeah, but we've seen the, you know, we've seen, I think it's interesting, right? We've seen, and we continue to see the dynamic, the relationship dynamics in organization. You know, you've got marketing and sales and you've got sales and ops. You know, there's always, you know, from what I see, great organizations are the one that can harmonize alignment between the key departments. Yeah. Um, For sure. And sometimes there is a misalignment, not just in and you know the tech, yeah, SaaS-based businesses, but in in other organisations as well. So this is really interesting. So, you know, moving forward, right? We've seen huge change in the past eighteen months. Many companies have had to accelerate their digital transformation strategies because they've had to. Um, mm-hmm. We'll probably continue to see change uh, become a more of a constant now, and I think people are more accepting of change now versus you know in any 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 time before what do you see as sort of a if you could forecast some big changes to the way sales organizations are run where do you see the biggest change coming in the next couple of years 
So one thing I think uh, that everyone would agree on is, you know, the sales automation is going through a big change, right? So as you know, I'm, I'm really close with uh, Justin Michael. And, you know, he and I talk a lot and I'm, I'm fascinated by the work he's doing when it comes to sales automation and technology tools are used to automate sales. And, you know, yep, it's a, it's a great book, Tech Powered Sales. And and, 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 I, and I think that, you know, there's a conversation there that's really provocative. I mean, he's basically going all bore. He's saying, look, robots are going to run everything, you know, and that it can do it really well. And I, I you know, I, I believe that's possible, but I also think that it's going to happen gradually because we're still humans mm. and we still have to make connections with each other. And, you know, I believe that that human connection that you and I discussed maybe about 20 minutes ago is still critical for these things. And I don't know if necessarily a lot of these robots, uh, I use the word robots maybe, maybe a bit euphemistically, can, can necessarily replicate that as well as people think. They pr- it probably will eventually, but not now. But that doesn't mean that people need to rethink the way that they buy software. And here's my issue. And this is where I think the CRO role is critically important is uh, we're a very reactive world today when it comes to business, right? So... Uh, software solutions have become sort of like a default way in which sales organizations try to solve problems. And what happens is, particularly with Salesforce, I think Salesforce is the guiltiest party in this, they've created this robust popular platform that everybody feels the need that they sort of have to get Salesforce, right? And then what they do is they build their sales organizations around Salesforce. In other words, they have to sort of like conform with the way Salesforce works. Yeah in order to be able to run their operations. And I think that's a really bad mistake is wrapping your organization around a software solution is, is instead of creating, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's a bit lazy. I think that what happens is it's just easier for a lot of organizations to say, just get Salesforce and just adhere to that. As opposed to, you know what, let's do some thinking on the way our sales organization needs to be structured. What's our compensation plans? What are our KPIs? What's our funnel look like? What's our unique way in which we go to market given our market, given our audience, et cetera. And then let's find software that supports that. It's harder to do, but it's better because now you're more in control and you're less reliant on some technology as opposed to you having a strategy and you're using technology as an enabler of that strategy. And I think that's going to be critically important. I think a lot of these people are going to fall down when they rely too much on software to get their job done. And then the second thing I think too is, we're seeing a lot of problems, right? People don't want advertising anymore. Customers hate it. They're overwhelmed with it. And advertising and marketing has become a substitution for sales and pulling in sales funnels. And I think that there's going to be a reckoning coming up very soon, if not happening right now, with all this you know, uh, uh, surveillance-type marketing and tracking and whatnot that people are starting to eschew. And it's going to force the way companies rethink the way they reach out to people. And I believe that the customers are in more control now. They want to be more in charge of how they're talked to. And I think companies that get smarter about that, they're going to get more towards the art and the creativity and the messaging as opposed to the automation. So I think these are going to be critical. And I think salespeople need to to remember that the sales advice they got 25, 30 years ago is equally as critical today Mm. as it was back then, even though you have all these tools. And if you forget that stuff, you're going to lose. And so the best salespeople, the ones that, you know, we said, as we said earlier, make a connection and the best sales managers and the best sales leaders understand that. And they promote that and they support that and they provide systems that, that create opportunities for that to happen. Yeah. You know, what I, what I find, I love, I love what you've just shared because I think, you know, I, I keep referencing a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, right? I keep referencing it's a great book. book. It's a book that I, I, I pretty much read it every January. And every time I read it, 
I get another learning from it, right? And I call that, you know, the fundamentals of selling. I think there are so many things in the foundations that we need to have as sales professionals in our toolkit, right? They're things that that are foundational. And then we look at the you know all this technology, gong, chorus, coaching tools, but yet not salespeople are still not coached to the level that they need to be successful. But the data tells us the more you coach, the more the dial moves, right? So in this prolification of technology that's, you know, being thrown at organizations, it's not essentially making sellers better at what they do. Like we've seen. I agree. It's making it easier for them to not be good at what they do. And they're using a lot of these things as ways to get around some of the hard work. Like I, I was thinking when you were just talking about that before, it's like acting. So there's difference between a film actor and a stage actor. So the film actor, it's a, it's a, it's a director's medium. So, you know, what I do is I have a camera and I have some film and I have actors and I film them in a scene, a bunch of different ways. And then I can pick whichever scene or actual look or feel or comment that I like. and I can edit it together to make yeah. the scene look the way I want. Whereas stage actors, the director is, out of the picture as soon as the lights go on because it's now up to the actor to now deliver the job. It doesn't matter. The director's gone from the whole thing. So we're stage actors. Actors are, I mean, sellers are stage actors, right? Mm. It doesn't matter how much coaching I get or how many times my sales manager comes to me and gives me advice. Once I'm on the phone with the customer, I'm on stage and it doesn't matter. I don't have the ability of someone to cut and paste this conversation later to make it more palpable. And I think that we have to think of ourselves as being sort of stage actors. And I don't think a lot of salespeople do. I think they think of themselves as being autonomous, you know, part of like some sort of a technology system. And I think that salespeople need to remember and be trained better to do that. Um, and I, I think it's not, it's, it's, not a, it's not a small thing. So yeah. that's how I look at it. Yeah, what a, what a chat, Warren. Well, mate, I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think we could probably migrate this into another one, two or three podcasts because sure. I think some of the topics there are, you know, the coaching topic, the strategy topic, um, you know, there's so mm. many things that have sort of are coming out of this. But, mate, I want to just sort of, sort of before we wrap up, um, where can our listeners find you and engage with you um, to ask you further questions following the podcast? Sure. So a uh, LinkedIn is the number one place. You guys look me up. There's only one Warren Zena on LinkedIn. <laughs> There's only one Warren Zena in the world, as a matter of fact, I'm proud to say. So uh, you can find me there very easily. And um, I, I, I love uh, hearing from people. And then uh, you can go to my website, which is uh, thecrocollective.com. It's one word, thecrocollective.com. And you can reach me at warren at thecrocollective.com. And uh, I'm, I love, I love hearing from people. I get a lot of inbounds. So any questions you may have or anything, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help. And I'm here to make sure that salespeople, uh, exceed the grasp of their current reach and become successful, successful leaders. So, so thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I appreciate it. Awesome. Warren. Well, we appreciate the contribution you make to our community to help sellers be the best they can be. And thanks for being on the sales IQ podcast. Thank you. <laughs>